Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thank you for listening. We've done this a couple times before on the show, but for this week, I wanted to give listeners another inside look into how a deal actually gets done. And to best do this, I'm joined by a principal on each side of an acquisition that took place earlier this year. Don McCree is the vice chairman of Citizens Financial Group. I'm sure most of you are familiar with Citizens Bank. That's part of the larger Citizens Financial, a $19 billion market cap company that provides a whole host of commercial banking services for clients. And Ralph Dorada is the CEO of Western Reserve, a boutique middle market M&A firm that Citizens targeted earlier this year as it wanted to move into M&A advisory services as another way for the bank to generate revenue. So Citizens bought Western Reserve, uh, and now we have one person on each of those sides, now a combined company here today. So Don and Ralph, welcome to Deal of the Week. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having us. So Don, maybe let's start with you. Walk us through the process here. How did you decide that acquiring Western Reserve is what you wanted to do for Citizens Financial? Well, I joined the company about two years ago, and one of the things that was on my screen right from the get-go was to expand our M&A capabilities. Uh, I met Ralph right after I joined the company. Ralph was on my advisory board, as chance may have it, and so I got to spend two or three days with Ralph, uh, and I got to know him through uh, the first advisory meeting. I flew out basically right after that meeting to Ralph's offices in Cleveland and expressed an interest to buy Western Reserve if he was ever to become a seller. So what was it about that initial meeting that made you so determined or committed that I, Western I, Reserve was a target? Of yeah, yours? so I, I think in any financial services transaction, particularly in a transaction involving something like M&A or advisory capabilities, it's really about the people and about the culture. So the thing that attracted me to Ralph immediately was I think we think alike around how we approach clients. Uh, we actually, I loved Ralph's background, which he, which is he had run his own company for about 10 years, but he had been part of a large bank before that. So I knew he had operated, his team had operated in a uh, in a large bank environment, which was one of the things that obviously was going to be in my mind. And uh, I liked what I saw in terms of the franchise, in terms of the, the repertoire of the kinds of companies that they were doing business with and the fact that they were, you know, national in scope, but despite being a Midwestern located company and in fact had done some international business. So... His company actually partnered or, or, or looked a lot like Citizens Bank from a client roster, and I thought the synergies would be fantastic bringing the two together. So one more question for you, Don. So so just give us a little bit of sense of this. You mentioned you had joined the, the Citizens two weeks prior. Where did you come from? And also, did you have a specific mandate when you came aboard the company to, in fact, acquire companies, or was that sort of your own idea? No, it was. I, I had come from a long career at J.P. Morgan, so I've been in the financial services industry for a long time. And I joined the company to continue to build the commercial bank. You may know that Citizens went public about three years ago. Uh, we were a brand new company in and of our own right. And from one, RBS. From RBS. And one of, the, uh, one of the strategic goals that we outlined during the IPO was to expand the capability sets and expand the client sets of, of the commercial bank itself. So you know, we didn't have M&A as the specific goal. As as I thought about how I was going to accomplish my goal set, which was to grow the clients and, and grow the revenue stream, you can do that by hiring people one by one. You can do that by partnering with other companies, or you can do that with by acquiring someone like Western Reserve. All right, Ralph. So Don mentioned that you had worked at a larger bank previously. So tell us a little bit about your own background and then what you thought when Don approaches you saying, I'm interested in buying the company. 
Well, my background, as uh, Don alluded to, I worked for many years as head of investment banking at McDonald Company, which was a large regional brokerage. Uh, Not company. the restaurant McDonald's. Not the restaurant yes. McDonald's. <laughs> uh, they had a bigger market cap. Sometimes we wish it was them, but uh, and we uh, ended up selling the uh, the investment bank to Key in October of 1998, and then I assumed the same position over at Key, and their investment banking units were folded into the McDonald units, and I ran those for a number of years. And then I made the mistake of retiring. and uh, An early retirement. Early retirement. Had owned a bit of stock, so you know thought I could retire, but then my wife gave me those fateful words, uh, I married you for better or for worse, just not for lunch. So I went back to work and founded Western Reserve. Why didn't you tell your wife to get a job? She can work then, just want to have lunch with you. <laughs> uh, I wish you had intervened. Wish I knew you then, Alex. But, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Everyone says that to me. <laughs> I'm just one of many. That's I right, know. exactly. So I got bored, and I started uh, up a business, and I thought it'd be a small business with just a few people that worked with me uh, who decided to come on board. I had a one year not to compete, not to solicit, and I started getting calls on that one-year anniversary. And uh People had remembered, and so we started small, but it quickly grew, and it kept growing and growing and growing. And one thing you have to do in the financial services world, if the growth is there, you have to take it and do it. You know, we finally got to a certain size where we had some real critical mass. Uh, again, for clarity, you guys are based in Ohio, right? Cleveland, Ohio. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you get a call from a large, you know, national player, and Don comes to meet you. Are you surprised? Well, we had been approached by some other folks over the years, some other banks and uh, large accounting firms. You know, I think uh, Don and I had pretty quick chemistry. He and I do see the world in a very similar way. We have similar backgrounds. Um, very, he's very client-focused. I'm very client-focused. You know, I've always said it's the clients who pay the salaries, and you got to keep the client happy. It was a great honor to be approached by by Don and Citizens. It's uh, obviously an organization I knew well because I had for six years been on their national advisory board and really saw the great transformation of the company from ownership under RBS to an independent company. And maybe just take a minute and explain what is a national advisory board for people that aren't familiar. So we we have a we obviously have a board of directors for the company, but we also have an advisory board which is made up of I guess the number 15 or 16 CEOs from around the uh, the country. They, we get together two or three times a year. They give us advice on, as to strategy, as to what they are hearing about us in the market. They help us as references to uh, to bring on new clients. All right. So, Ralph, so, so Don comes at you, and what is that? That initial conversation is, you know, Don expresses interest. If you ever decide to sell yourselves, I would be interested. Let's have a conversation. From that conversation, when do you decide, okay, I would, in fact, like to potentially – sell the company. Yeah, I think it was just a few months afterwards, Alex. And, uh, you know, I had uh, six partners, managing partner at six partners. How many employees? Uh, At that time, we had about 30, maybe a couple more. And uh, so uh, we talked about it. And for a number of reasons, we decided that we should entertain Don's overture. Also, at the same time, maybe talk to some of the other folks who had approached us in the past just to get a sense of things. And what are some of those reasons? Is it you wanted more scale or access to more clients, or you guys thought it was about time to cash out? What were the reasons? I think uh, it would be those, D, all of yeah, the, above the above on the test. Right. Yeah, so yeah. a big one for us he was... He didn't cash out, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Not totally. <laughs> <laughs> Not totally. I think the access to their clients was really interesting to us. I think there's something like, Don, correct me if I'm wrong, 3,500? That's correct. 
clients that they have, of which we probably knew a very small amount of those, very small. And in the investment banking world, deal flow is king. And you can never have enough deal flow as far as I'm concerned. So having those relationships, and, and I would tell you, the citizens relationship managers have particularly good relationships, I think, with their corporate clients. But this was a product suite that was a very limited one within the citizens' halls. So we felt that we could really be a plug-and-play and be part of citizens day one and get introductions to many of these companies and work with them on their strategic initiatives. And so, Don, you joke Ralph didn't cash out, but was it, in fact, part of the deal that Ralph needed to come along as the CEO in order for you to be interested in doing this? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and his partners also. So, you know, one of the things that was uh, critically important to us is we retain the talent, because particularly in an advisory shop, uh, and uh, you're, you're, you, are, you are your people. Um, and, and one of the things that I was very focused on was making sure that we retain the people and that they they were joining a company that they thought they were going to be successful with. And if you go back to what Ralph said, you know, to me, this was a really easy transaction. I had a, I had a couple goal sets. One was I've got 2,800 middle market companies, 3,500 overall clients, and those clients want advice from us. And we were, we were missing a piece of that arsenal. We had an M&A business, but it was three people. And so we could not cover the waterfront the way we needed to from a client service standpoint. So to pick up 35 people, expand the overall M&A business to 40 people. In other words, clients were coming to you saying, where's your M&A practice? And you were saying, we or don't they, have... Or they were saying, we're thinking of selling our company. We're thinking of doing a minority stake in our company. What's your advice? We had in the prior couple of years built a very good leverage financing private equity business. So we had that piece of the arsenal, which was we could give... Um, give as good advice as anybody as to capital structure and financing alternatives in the marketplace, but we really hadn't invested in the M&A part of the equation. So I'm looking at a very large client base where we can do some of the services that they require, but not all of the services. And that led me pretty quickly to conclude that we needed to build a couple other capabilities. M&A was one of the, one of the most significant ones. So Ralph, from your standpoint, what are the key points that Don needs to meet in order for you to say yes? Price, what else? Price, uh, structure is important, uh, willingness to take all my people, and a willingness to open up their portfolio to us and allow us access. And then the last thing, Don made it attractive by saying, and you can report to me, Ralph. So to be able to report to the vice chairman and get access to him and get quicker decisions made, uh, made it very attractive to me and my colleagues. So then what happens? Who's in the room when the nuts and bolts of this really get done? And how long does that happen? Do you guys each hire lawyers? Do you do your own M&A advisory work <laughs> yourself? Did you actually hire another firm to do this for you for fairness purposes and, and the same on citizen side? Well, sure. So yeah, we did hire a lawyer. We do need a lawyer. We hired uh, Calfee Halter, a very fine law firm in Cleveland that we've worked with uh, a bit over the years. Uh, we got advice from our accountant's BDO. But uh, the deal, really, I negotiated the deal, and my partners uh, were comfortable with that. Don negotiated on his end, and then we both have sort of uh, chief of staffs that did a lot of the, uh, I shouldn't say detail work, because I don't want to belittle how important it was, but they did a lot of the nuts and bolts. And it really came together pretty quickly. I mean, it, it's not that hard a deal What to are do. we talking about, months, weeks? Months, yeah, a few months. A few uh, months. Would have been a little quicker, but we had some you know, regulatory things we had to satisfy uh, as usual, right? That's normal. But it, it came together pretty easily. There wasn't a lot of wrangling on price. I think, you know, both parties kind of knew how 
these kind of companies are traded and what kind of multiples and structures. So it wasn't really that difficult. The main thing for us really at the end of the day was the cultures were right. If the culture isn't right, it's not going to work. And so describe that first conversation where you inform your 30-plus employees that you've sold the company and they'll be working for citizens now. So our employees are a little different than maybe others in the world of M&A because they do M&A. So we figured that they'd get wind of it pretty quickly. Right. So what we just did is we just uh, – open up the window and let the sunlight come in, and we let them know what we're doing, and we told them periodically what we're doing. And so you didn't need to wait until the end of the process? No, no. We, we did that at McDonald Company. We are a public company. We had to. Literally, I remember the Sunday night when we had the phone train and everybody called their direct reports. We kept the people informed all the way through, and I think that's why we kept them all. And they felt a part of it and were excited about it. One of the interesting things that Ralph did is he had me come out to Cleveland and speak with all of his people early in the process so that they could get a feel for not me, but for citizens and what we Even were before to, the deal was closed. Even before the deal was closed. Okay. And we actually had a joint meeting of my senior team and Ralph's senior team as part of the lead up to closing the transaction. Yeah, so it was very Boston. well known on both sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was what, an important meeting. What is the, from citizen standpoint, Don? Now that you have acquired Western Reserve, is this just sort of the kickoff point? Do you want to really build out your middle market M&A practice? Is this something where you, f you feel like this is just I think the start it, of something? I think it's a huge opportunity, and we, we will continue to build it. And Ralph and I are actively talking uh, about alternatives. We, we could acquire other firms. Uh, if we did that, it would probably be some kind of industry specialty M&A capability. But at a minimum, we will hire more people to supplement Ralph's team. And I think I think – Industry specialization will be a theme that you see uh, coming out of Citizens as we build the M&A practice. And so just give me a little bit of an inside look into Citizens. Do you have certain clients that are tilted toward a certain industry? Is that why that's appealing? You know, it's to interesting. You? We we I break it into three different groups of clients. We have a core middle market group of clients, which are call it fifty million in sales to a billion dollars in sales. Uh, then we've got a larger cap client base, which is a billion to call it three billion dollars, and we and we deviate from that. And then we have three industry verticals. We have healthcare, we have oil and gas, and we have tech and telecom. Within those bigger groups, the mid-market and mid-corp space, we have a lot of specialization. So we'll, we'll be lending money to a lot of companies in, say, the chemicals industry or in the general industrial industry. We have a big franchise finance retail practice where we, we, lend, we lend to franchisees all over the country. So we do have a series of, of called out uh, industry specialties, but there's a lot of industry experts that sit on the platform. And is the thought process you'll stay sort of in the middle market or will you start to look toward you know larger deals. I, I, we, we like the size of companies we're dealing with. And, you know, we, we think we differentiate well because we think we have excellent people. Um, they are, as Ralph said, they are very close to their clients. They're very knowledgeable about their clients. And a lot of those relationships go back 20 and 30 years. So there's a trust that resonates from our bankers and, and the company. We have been expanding. So we opened up an office in Atlanta last year. We have about 20 bankers now in Atlanta. We opened up a bigger office in New York. So we have a new Metro New York effort. And we added a bunch of people in Chicago. So we're pushing out geographically and hiring local bankers to cover clients in, in new regions as we speak. I'm curious, just because both of you guys sort of deal with M&A on a daily basis in somewhat two different ways, as you look at banking M&A in general, obviously we went through a spurt almost 10 years ago now where there were some enormous ones that, that that are sort of a higher level than maybe where you guys operate. But then you, I'm sure you just see sort of your general churn and, 
and firms, advisory firms, say, bulking up or branching off and boutique M&A firms popping up. Uh, where have banks gone right and where have they gone wrong when it comes to their own acquisitions? So why don't I take that, Ralph? Yeah. I think I think it does come back to what we both have mentioned. Is it's about the people and the cultures. If citizens went out and bought a company or any other bank went out and bought a company and there was a culture clash, that is detrimental to the clients and detrimental to the service we provide our clients. I so, mean, on a grand scale, there was a bit of a culture clash when Bank of America bought Merrill Lynch. And in fact, that culture clash exists today to some degree. Now, I don't know. I'll have to turn over your thoughts, whether you think that has been a successful deal or not. I, I think they're a wonderful, big, integrated, global and commercial and investment bank. So they seem to be doing quite well. So I have nothing. But, but you, you've seen that the Merrill Lynch brand exists even to this day because they were unwilling to sort of part with it. Yeah. And, and you know, so the Western Reserve brand exists within Citizens today. So I'm not sure it's as much the brand as it is. Do you have all of the people lined up for the benefit of the client base? And I don't have a lot of insights into Bank of America and Merrill and how they're operating it day to day. But we spent an enormous amount of time on our transaction around the topic of how is Western Reserve going to interact with the people in the field at Citizens. And I was worried about two different things. One is we have a new toy, which is Western Reserve with, with great capabilities. We don't want our bankers wasting their time where there's not real opportunities, but we want our bankers able to bring Western Reserve in early and do the spade work for opportunities that may, they may not come about well, this, in the client base. For so this years. is a good lead into my next question is a lot of people throw around that word culture, but what does that mean exactly? What is citizens culture? What were you worried about may or may not be a clash with Western Reserve? So I worry about two things and then I'll get, let Ralph go here. One is client orientation. And a lot of people say that, but a real secret sauce in banking is to truly be acting every day, day in and day out for the benefit of your client. Or, Rather than just making fees for yourself. Yeah. And if yeah. you think about our client base, these are mid-sized companies and they need our help. And, and we need to be agnostic about the advice we're giving them and give them the right advice, whether or not we have the capability. We think we have the capabilities, but if it's better for them to do a transaction that we don't have the capability in, we need to tell them that. And we need to tell them who should execute that transaction for them. And then the second thing is, I would say, being P&L agnostic. So the other thing you see in banks that, that tend to bring things down is one group will try to hold on to a transaction or one banker will try to hold on to a transaction and not bring the full team in because they're either trying to get paid on it or they're trying to get credit for it. We, we have actually have a very strong culture at, at Citizens, which really revolves around who are the three to five best people in the company to engage on an individual product, no matter where they sit, and how do we put them around a, a, an opportunity early enough so that we, we just give uh, better advice to our clients. And that last one, I, I was initially skeptical when Don told me that because my experience in the past wasn't like that. And I was afraid there was going to be a lot of uh, there would be a lot of people trying to just hold on to what they have and not share knowledge and relationships. And uh, the pleasant surprise was Don was right, and uh, so we got the access that we we wanted, and the people have you know welcomed us really with open arms. It's been uh, it's been terrific. Is it a goal of yours now that you're Ralph? Now that you're at Citizens, to get bigger to make this sort of a bigger franchise? Oh, absolutely, Alex. Yeah. I think we have to. I mean, Citizens is 150 billion plus in assets. You know, we're 40 some people. You know, we'll do a billion, $2 billion in mergers, middle market mergers a year. Um, sounds like a lot, but compared to the Citizens organization, we're still dwarfed by them. So I think in order to be 
relevant, remain relevant, and to really give the service to the client base, we've got to grow. Don, let me ask you to wrap up here. Where do you see the future of banking going? Because banking has so many different sort of tentacles and products and 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 seemingly the success of them, whether it's trading or M&A advisory or lending, they go up and down as the years go by. Do you see a path forward here where you can sort of pinpoint and say, you know what, I see a trend here where trading is going to be less important and M&A advisory is going to be more important or something like that? I would kind of answer it the same way I mentioned a minute ago. So trading has definitely gotten much less important across the overall industry. We don't have big trading operations. We have trading rooms, which basically provide risk management functions and currencies and interest rates for our clients. But I think the trend in banking is being full service so that no matter what problem arrives on your doorstep on behalf of a client, you have all of the capabilities to basically advise and execute against that problem. And uh, you can do it in a world-class way, no matter what your size is. So, you know, we have a very, very simple model that I think is a good model for banking, which is we get to know our clients extremely well at the management at the board level. We know their strategies and their ambitions. We probably start by lending them a little bit of money. So we take risk from a credit standpoint. We probably manage their cash and their, and their, and their payments. And then we've got to be able to go and travel to the high value corporate finance transaction, which could be a sale. It could be an acquisition. It could be a leveraged finance transaction to pay a dividend to their management. It could be selling their companies to their employees via an ESOP. We need to be able to do all of that extremely well. And then invariably, industries and companies get in trouble. And they, they hit potholes as, as we go through cycles or we go through changes in industries. And we've got to have the capabilities to stay with our clients when they hit problems. So we have deep asset-based capabilities. We have restructuring capabilities. We have bankruptcy finance capabilities. And we have leasing capabilities. So no matter which direction our clients are moving, we want to be the bank that they turn to to basically solve whatever challenge is in front of them. Don McCree, Vice Chairman at Citizens Financial Group and Ralph Dorada, CEO of Western Reserve, now a part of Citizens Financial Group. Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having us, Alex. That'll do it for this episode of Deal of the Week. By the way, this episode is our 100th episode of this podcast. So thank you for, for being with us. And thank you, Ralph and Don, for making this a special 100th episode of this podcast. Remember to rate and review the show at Apple Podcasts. Also, you can get the show on the Bloomberg Terminal or on Bloomberg.com, really any app you use to listen to podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. And if you have any future ideas for the show, please email me, asherman6 at bloomberg.net. Sarah Patterson is our producer. See you soon.